Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 414, Trapping and Predator Management for Better Wild Turkey Hatches with Cameron and Andy. And I am your co-host, and the guy who can't speak to the other co-host today. Oh, that's right. We're on rivalry week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is going to be, before I go on mine, that's going to be a heck of a game, I think, Saturday. And I am excited that, and I'm not saying it may be a blowout yet again, but for once, there's some hype that Tennessee actually will be in the game for some of the game. <laughs> Well, uh, I think there's a, a good chance, depending on which quarterback starts for Alabama. But yeah, you know, this... well, if the, if Tennessee shows up like they did against LSU this past week, it's going to be a heck of a shootout because they look darn good against yeah. the Tigers. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. I know there's kind of been a revitalized fan base around here. Everybody I've talked to is like, can't wait for the game. So 
usually Alabama weeks, like everybody tries to plan something where they won't watch the massacre, but now everybody wants to watch it. So that's good. Well, so yeah, I, I forgot th- about that. This is how everyone around here feels about it. I hate N- Nayland Stadium. It looks like a garbage truck <laughs> working convention. And I hate all the quarterbacks. I just, I hate Tennessee, man. Describe the- <laughs> it, it, it reminds me, it, and it's not that orange that you can stand. See, I hate Tennessee more than I hate Auburn. I just dislike Auburn. I hate Tennessee. See, Tennessee's colors is, is that, it's that throw-up orange. It's not that orange that you can sit with. It's that puke inside of a pumpkin orange. <laughs> so it's officially dubbed Hate Tennessee Week, and hey, let's we're do it. it. Yeah, I had got a guy in one of my in my home group for church that he's a big Alabama fan. I, he didn't talk to me as much last night. I, I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, oh, yeah, the game. That's right. <laughs> Probably a little so, bit of fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe so. This is like the first time Alabama fans are having to somewhat worry about a, a potential game, you know, this weekend. But, but yeah, that, yeah. that's going to be a heck of a game. But yeah. I am your co-host, and I'm the guy who is – trying to be like milo of croton yeah so tell us a little bit about that are you familiar with milo of croton i'm not real familiar with milo of croton so he is the greek who i thought was a you know like a fable but it actually is a true story this guy really did exist milo now this part i don't know if it existed he's the one who was his middle name sorghum <laughs> no i don't think this okay. i don't know they, they don't I don't know if the Greeks put the middle name in their in their history books for this guy. He's Milo of Croton. That's all I know. Okay. And he's the guy who he was an Olympic athlete. He won. He was considered like the strongest man in the world back then. But they said he got his strength from a calf was born nearby, and every day he'd go put it on his shoulders and walk up the mountain with it until it grew to be a full size bull. And so by the end of it, he's carrying the full-size bull up the mountain on his shoulders. So hmm. I got a backpack, and Josie goes in it. I'm going to do the same thing every day. <laughs> as, as she grows, I will get stronger. <laughs> so by turkey season, I'm going to be rolling up some mountains. <laughs> Can I tell you that there may be a little flaw in your your plan? I don't think she's going to put on weight quite as fast as the bull, but what it, what is the flaw you see? The flaw that I see is it's going to take her, you know, it, it doesn't take a calf as long to grow into a full-grown bull. Yeah. So you And it's going to get kind of awkward that. when she's like 14, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dad, can I get a car? Why? I'm going to walk you to school tomorrow. Yeah, we got to do the backpack Getting the backpack. Again. I'm trying to get stronger. <laughs> yeah. So besides being awkward, you know, when she's 20 years old, you'll be 45, 46. So, yeah, yeah uh, your back is not going to like that. So yeah. That's the only flaw I see. Otherwise, I think it's lovely. <laughs> I, I think it's going to work out, I think, by turkey season, you know, carrying around 20-something pounds on my back by then, maybe 30 pounds, whatever it is. It's it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. I'm going to well, be rolling. There's absolutely some truth to what you're saying because 
those who go like from the southeast go to the mountains and you know we even had the the trainer on the show and for whatever reason her name's escaping me but that's what she does to train on yeah the, some days rucksack. Is, yeah throws throws some weight in the rucksack and hike so yeah it will definitely get you in shape and yeah you know, i mean i can tell it i mean you know she's not all that heavy right now but you know still she's 20 something pounds and so i'm training for a long hikes b slinging 20 pounds over my shoulder which hopefully i do a lot of in the spring before a long hike and i think i really do think it'll help yeah i I always seem to somehow figure out how to turn things into how it's going to help me be a turkey hunter and i was she loves this backpack thing and so if she's having a rough afternoon i just chunk her in that we go walk two miles you know and then i'm like hey i'm gonna be like that greek guy that puts the calf on the shoulders as it grows and just gets stronger that's right so there you go i'm milo of croton although i read up on the guy after i thought about it because i remembered hearing that story as a kid or something and i was reading up on him i don't want to go out the way he did he got his hand stuck in a tree and some wolves ate him but Hmm. you know that that wouldn't be my preferred method yeah well i wonder if the wolves started eating the bull first I don't, I don't think the bull was the with him. He, the story, it's like he he was just walking and, and wanted to tear down this tree or something. Like, he, he sounds like he just was like, oh, I'm so strong, I'm going to destroy a tree with my bare hands and got stuck in a crack in the tree. And anyway, I, I guess they found his eating self with a hand stuck in the tree and we're like, oh, I don't know what happened here. I wonder if that's what happened or if he got a little bit tired of the fame and chewed his own hand off and disappeared like elvis yeah he's he's still out there he's still there somewhere yeah but apparently it is they've they've done you know of course they've done studies on this to see if it's even humanly possible to do what he did with the bull and their bulls back then only weighed like 600 pounds at full maturity so they said it it actually would be possible for someone to do that compared to like a you know nowadays with all the steroids and breeding programs and everything you got like a several thousand pounds animal so i wonder how many millions of dollars of federal grant money went to pay for that study probably some of these guys and gals that are about to get their student loans paid off that's probably what they majored in was bull carrying studies yeah with a minor in (laughs) dance yeah and and then you know we get to help pay that off because some of us had to already go through college. But hey, you know whatever. It's no cool. bitterness. No, no bitterness. No, uh-uh. it's a great no. plan. Great plan. Yeah, exactly. Just give us exactly. some more money with this inflation rate. It, it's a fantastic plan. Yeah. Perfect. Time. So all right, let's get off the politics and let's get into some turkeys. trapping. Yeah. Let's yeah. kill stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know I'm at that point to where i'm kind of like i don't want this to end we've had golly in my opinion we've had some of the best guests that we've had on i've learned more than i normally do talking just turkey or something else i'm not saying that i don't learn anything because i always do every single episode every single interview i learn something from our guest but in these episodes it's been like oh oh yeah okay you know, and so there's a whole notebook of stuff to learn from this. And so I've enjoyed this a lot. And last week's episode, again, that was awesome. it ranks way up there in my favorites. 
That was yeah. an incredible episode. Yeah, so. pretty sick. And, you know, like we said in that episode, some people don't want to trap. They don't, maybe they don't have time. They don't like it. I don't particularly like it. I do it, but, you know, they have an aversion to it. Go call them. There you go. You know, yeah. here's another option. Yep. No doubt. So uh, I thought that was a good addition at the end and freaking awesome episodes all the way around. You know, long series on predator management, but you and I both believe, and I'm going to share some statistics on why I think it works that are factual. And, but we both believe this, this is one of the ways we can help the wild turkey right now and help sustain them for the future. So that's why we're harping on it so much with four episodes, now five, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I read a article in the NWTF Turkey Call magazine just recently, and Brett Collier wrote it and was talking about predator management and using that as a tool to improve your turkey numbers. And again, you know, he stated that doing that is not going to, over a long period of time, not going to increase your turkey numbers. So, and part of the reason is, he says that as you take out more of one type of predator, you end up with more of another type of predator. Hey, it makes sense. You know, if you have more prey, you're going to have more predators. Yeah. That's just the way things are going to work. However, if you're removing those predators, you've got to have more prey. And, you know, my my justification for all of this in my mind is if I get one more turkey on the ground a year because of my trapping efforts, I'm leaving the place better than when I found it. Oh, yeah. And shouldn't and I mean, that be our all of our goal? You do you that know? for five years and look at the exponential effects. I mean, you've basically created a new flock of turkeys. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. And you, you know, we take turkeys out of the population. Yep. Aren't we obligated to put turkeys back into the population? Yeah. And, you know, let's say you kill one or two gobblers off of a property and then through your trapping efforts, one nest makes it with six poults or something about that. Mm -hmm. You've put more back than you took. Boom. Yeah. Yep. You know? Just that easy in my mind. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're we're hung up on right now, we, being the turkey hunting community, seem to be hung up on how many we're taking out. Yeah, not how many we're putting back. <laughs> right. So, in my mind... It doesn't matter how many we kill. If we put more back than we kill, we can bingo. keep killing them, you know? Yep. yep. So, that's it. You know, that's my reasoning behind it. I'm no biologist. I do know the difference between a male and a female, but... Still no biologist, but it it just, the numbers are there unless somebody can prove me wrong with facts to tell me that trapping will have zero benefit for wild turkeys and or could possibly even be detrimental to wild turkeys, then yeah. I'm going to continue to trap. And I don't believe there's anyone out there, no matter how educated they are, no matter how much time they spend in the field studying wild turkeys, I don't believe there's anyone out there that's going to say that trapping predators has zero positive effect on wild turkeys population. That is. So Yeah, well, I think there I think there are people who think that, you know, not qualified biologists at least, but there are individuals who you know are on Facebook who think that, but 
It to me, the one argument that I hear most all the time from somebody who's I wouldn't say anti trapping, but is of the opinion that it's a waste of time, you know. I I don't run into any like other hunters and stuff that are anti trapping, I would say, but they hold the opinion like, Oh, you're just wasting time. You ain't you didn't do nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like their main point usually if I ask them why they think that is they're just going to move back in, you know, they, sure they the, the coons and stuff, they're, they're back. They're the ones from your neighbor will move on to you and whatever. And I'm like, while that may be true to an extent, I do not think that on my neighbor's property, when they hear the 22 go off on my land, that the coons are like, Oh, right. We can move over. Right. It's, it's open now. I mean, that, that's just not going to happen. I do. I think every year, just like every other animal, there's like a, a cycle. They have their young, they grow up with the mom, and then they spread out. And I think when that yep. happens, some are going to come over to your place. Yep. But that doesn't happen till like September, October. So if you kill them in February, they're probably not being replaced till the young leave the mom i mean sure you're gonna have like some rutting boars maybe that run through you know during the mating season but like if you kill them before turkey season coons only have a litter once a year from what i hear they're only raising once and that is in like june about the time turkeys are raising so it's not like I, i just these people that think that the way they come across is like you kill one and the next day, another one has spontaneously generated and is back into that tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just don't think that's factual. And mm-hmm. I, I also want to be like, hey, okay, you get a coon in your attic at home, you probably shouldn't worry about killing him because there's another one outside that will get in immediately, you know, and that cycles just forever. You know, just, just leave him up there. It's no problem. There's, there's, if you kill him, there's one waiting at the door and he hears the gunshot. He's coming in forever. And I'm like that, <laughs> you know, that that's not how it works. They don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know why people think that, but I guess because they reproduce once a year and yes, but you know what? I'm not, if I have 300 acres and I trap every animal on it and some off my neighbor come to me, okay. Yeah, there's less predators on my neighbor. They got good yep. nesting habitat over there too. It looks the same as mine. I I don't care if the turkeys raise the poults across that imaginary line or on my side. I just want them on the ground. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. mean, you yeah. still reduced by one that year when you killed the animal. It it is he is gone and he will not be possibly replaced until the babies are born in June. So there, he will not be there or she will not be there through the nesting season. Bottom yeah. line. I mean, well, and, you know, part of part of Brett's argument and I, I'm not saying Brett's anti-trapping because I really don't think he is at all. But he's just saying, you know, the, the premise behind the article is trapping can't be the only thing that you do to try to improve turkey populations. You know, or yeah. the only thing that we do, I should say, yeah. as turkey hunters and I do totally agree with that. However, a hundred percent. Sometimes it's the only option we have. You know, if we're hunting public ground, hey, we can't go control burn public ground. Well, yeah. let me let me walk that back a little bit. Hey, we can't legally go control burn public <laughs> ground. Yeah, please don't go light your public land on fire. <laughs> so you know, predator hunting and trapping 
are about the only things that we can do to try to benefit the wild turkeys. And if we want to give back, we we need to go give back. Yeah. So leases, hunting clubs, a lot of those. You can't yeah. disturb one tree on the property. Exactly you know? right. So, I mean, exactly. what are you going to do? You you have trapping is your only option. Yeah. And so, like Grant Wood said, if there's no predators, they can raise poults on a football field. It doesn't, yep. You know, there's always going to be some predators that we always. cannot control. But because we can't get rid of the, the avian predators because the vast majority of them are, are protected. Crows yeah. might Crows be protected. There may be a season in your state. Yeah. But the others off limits, you know, yeah. so. But that's... number one on all of the studies that have ever been done. I mean, I have ever seen one that doesn't show Mr. Raccoon as number one, enemy number one. We can kill him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we can smoke them. You can kill them with dog, call them, trap them, run over them, whatever. You can kill a raccoon legally. In almost, I think every state has it where you can shoot raccoons at least or trap them during some portion of the year. Yeah. And he's, yeah. he's number one enemy. I mean, there, I don't know that I've ever seen a study that has anything ranked above the raccoon on, on nest predation. Yeah. Well, but. speaking of studies, you've been keeping some numbers. You've been keeping some stats since you started trapping, was it first of the year when you started keeping some yeah. notes on this? What? Yeah. What are your so, results so far, and what are you, you're kind of doing some A-B testing with your trapping right now as well, because you've got the live traps and the DPs, and what are your, just yeah very preliminary, because you haven't been doing it too terribly long, what are you finding out? Yeah, so just the background on it, we have trapped two properties so far, they're both in the same river bottom, uh, there's one block is like a little over 300 acres, and I'd say a third, if not more, of that acreage is underwater. So it's it's a little smaller than you think when you hear 300 acres because of all the water. Yeah. And then the other property is my brother's property, and it's it's like 180 acres, I think, and it is in the, it's very similar habitat. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to keep notes on how many I catch and how many I catch per property and then what I caught them in and and on you know bait wise so I have the live traps and I have the dog proof traps and so the week one I trap every day for a week on the property the 350 acre property and I set out all my live traps I had out 20 live traps and I had out 23 dog proofs, I believe it was. So a okay. few more dog proofs than live traps, but, you know, pretty similar. And none in places better than another. Most of the time, I would, a lot of times I would set out a live trap on one side of the trail, dog proof on the other side of the trail, you know, because I was like, hey, something may prefer one over the other. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Were you and using so, the same bait in no. both of those traps? Okay. So dog proofs marshmallow and cat dry cat food mixture just mini marshmallows and dry cat food under the trigger and then in the live traps was sardines uh so you would have caught me in those yeah <laughs> so get out of here raccoon sard- that's mine yeah <laughs> so a can of sardines kroger had a deal they were a dollar can i bought every one of them they had loaded them up in the truck and then 
dog proofs. I had the cat food and marshmallows under the trigger. And then sometimes I put a big roaster marshmallow on top of the dog proof. Sometimes I didn't. I was just kind of testing those out, see if that eye appeal, that big white marshmallow on top helped, which I think it did. I seem to have a better catch rate when I put a big marshmallow on top. Mm-hmm. On coons. And now it was like the possums. It, I caught a few possums in the dog proofs, and I honestly think they wanted the cat food in there. I don't think they have the sweet tooth that a coon does. And maybe just my opinion, but literally, like the couple possums I caught, one of them had just knocked the top marshmallow off. It was laying on the ground by him, and and he had gone into the trap. Like he wanted the cat, the fishy smelling cat food. I think. Hmm. So bottom line with the the week of trapping. I caught on this one property 36 predators in a week. So, I mean, that's hammering them pretty good. Yeah. And and this is a property you've already killed. I mean, I've already killed what? I've killed 59 raccoons and 16 possums on this one place this leading, since February. Leading up to that week or including that week? Including that week. So, okay. with that 35, that about doubled what I killed already. But, you know, it had already had several removed prior to this week repeat the numbers of possums and raccoons again so total i've killed 59 raccoons and 16 possums on that property but since acquiring all these traps and everything this one week of trapping i killed it was six let's see 16 possums were caught in a live trap on sardines out of the 35 total, 16 of them were possums, and they were in the live traps. And I caught two more possums on dog-proof traps. So I think even just one week, uh, obviously we'll have like a year's worth of data at some point, but the possums absolutely seem to prefer the live trap over the dog-proofs, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And especially the, the two possums I caught in the dog-proofs were like, huge boar pot like male possums like big big possums the the smaller ones all were in the live traps and i was like well they're you know i was looking at them i was like they're little arms i don't think they could even get to the trigger you know if they wanted to so definitely think you're going to get a higher possum catch rate in a live trap over the dog proofs with sardines so that was one find so then the coons i caught nine raccoons in dog proofs and seven raccoons in live traps. So those were about split evenly. A little bit more to the dog proofs. And again, I had three more dog proofs out than I did live traps. But so far, and I had several scenarios where one day there was a coon in the dog proof and not in the live trap. And then I went to another, you know, drove on down this trail and there was a coon in the live trap, not in the dog proof. And they're right by each other. Yeah. So it seems like so far, just after a week, my deduction is that coons are about even on your odds of catching one with either type trap, you know, and mm-hmm. it, you know, but I did catch a few more and I caught one coon. I had a couple coyote sets out. Those turned out to be a disaster because the farmer decided to cut the field right after to put them out for an entire day <laughs> and it rained and everything i just couldn't it was a rough time for my first round of coyote sets but i did catch one coon on a coyote set oh really so, yeah huge huge boar coon and caught him on a foothold so and then i caught one armadillo on a live trap so huh and I, he i know that I, they're they're 
meat eaters because they eat ants and grubs and things like that. But that's interesting. Sardines. Well, you know what I caught him on, interestingly, in that trap. I had breakfast that morning and I'd eaten some eggs and I took the eggshells and the yolk was still in one of the shells and I threw them in there and I caught the armadillo on that. No joke. Yeah. So people, I think they eat eggs. <laughs> that little, you know what? Yeah. It was a very satisfying 22 bullet to his head because it's like, you egg eating sucker, you're going down. <laughs> <laughs> no, he probably just like accidentally walked in there. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> He's just like, huh? This yeah. looks like a nice that? place. I could put some thatch up here on the roof. And... Yeah, it's already got the bones of a good structure. Yeah, yeah. I need to get these eggshells out of here, though, because those are kind of <laughs> nasty and in the way. They're going to start stinking in a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was in there with the eggs, but, but yeah, so, so that's what one week, you know, and then my brother took the traps, and he ran almost all live traps. He did a one or two dog proofs out i think towards the end but he he caught another 16 possums and seven coons on his place this okay. past week the 180 so, acre yes uh, on their place okay. and it's very similar habitat so he we've both been shocked by the amount of possums that are present yeah i was gonna say the same thing you seem to be pretty close to 50 50 coons possums yeah i mean well we've We've caught more possums than we have coons, but I also have killed way more coons than possums. Leading up to leading up to this point. So week. yeah. Because we hammered we've hammered the coons on our place, the three hundred fifty acre place with, with coon dogs. I've called them in. There's there's way more ways to kill coons than possums. <laughs> yeah. So we've been killing them all year, but the uh the trapping was i mean you're looking at two weeks of trapping and we pulled out was at 30 36 and 23 so 59 predators mm-hmm. in two weeks that's a lot yeah so i mean that I, I will say basically methodology keep it on the road systems where you can just drive and look, because we're running a ton of traps at this point, and I think that's going to pay off for us because in two weeks of trapping, we killed 59 predators, whereas last year, you know, or in February, with, I don't know, I had maybe 10, 11 traps total. I don't know how, there's no telling how long it would have taken me to kill that many predators. It would yeah. have been, you know, if I caught one, if I caught two in a night with those, it was like a great night. Now, I was catching four and five every night, you know, and so that adds up a lot quicker. And is there any method to where you're placing these traps when you're running them down the road? Are you putting them near water, whether it's yeah. still water or running water? What What's your... Yeah, a lot near water because it, it's been really dry here until this rain we got yesterday so mostly near water near just by the road if there's any intersections where this road intersects this road and there's three roads coming together mm -hmm. right there's a great spot there's a levee across the back i put a ton up and down the levee you know on that levee there were spots where the beavers had like a really nice ramp down to the water 
down the levee and you could see that coons were going using that to go down to the water to fish trap there you know it's just you just use like common sense of like fire rod you know all right this spot is a tree line that is all alone it's one tree line that runs from this field to this field if i'm a coon and i want to go from those woods to these woods i'm probably going to run next to this tree line instead of just across the bold middle of this field you know yeah and coon, what, what am i gonna do or if there's a really heavily used deer trail that is in some thick stuff and there's one really nice trail coming through the coons are going to use that mm-hmm. or possums you know so it was basically just wherever it looked like there was obviously a lot of animal activity, you know, using trails, intersections, places they were going down to fish in the river. And then we have two spots where that we have these sloughs that cross our trail and we built rock crossings across the sloughs so that we can drive across them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't know this, but if I'm a coon, I would rather walk across the rock crossing than swim the slough. Yeah. So I put a trap on each side of the rock crossing, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I did that for both of those spots. So it's just kind of, you know, if you have a bridge on your property that crosses the river, or crosses the creek, they're probably going to use it, you know, because I would imagine being a dry coon is more enjoyable than being a wet coon at night. <laughs> yeah. So that's there, you know, not a ton of methodology there, just commonsensical approach to where I'm going to place them. And, and so far, you know, it, as far as time to place a trap, it is about the same, you know, dog proofs a little more effort because you have to put anchors on them and everything and set them and put bait down in the little hole honestly i think you can set out the live traps quicker you literally i don't i just sit it down chunk a can of sardines in the bag set the trap Mm -hmm. i don't i don't brush it in or anything it doesn't matter i don't think yeah and i will like if there's a nice two trees like near each other i can fit it between i'll put it right between them or if i can back it up to a tree just to keep something from reaching in from the back and grabbing my sardines out if it has like a so i had like a really small possum that was robbing me one night and i ended up catching him finally but he was coming in from the back because his paw was small enough and stealing my sardines yeah and so i put it up against a tree where he couldn't do that he had to come in the front and got him mm-hmm. you know so if there's a way to back it up against something or, or just kind of keep because i think one problem i was having i had to, this was another static kept up with was like missed catches so the live traps were i had several live traps that were tripped and nothing was in them and i think you know it's a, probably a possum or a raccoon on the side of the trapper or the back was you know rattling the trap around trying to get in there and that caused the door to fall you know yeah and then i had three or i think i had four missed catches on dog proofs i had one the coon i assume it was a coon was caught climbed the tree got my anchor cord like a cable over a limb and like i guess just jumped off and got his paw out that way because when i got there it was like the dog proof was hanging upside down just like dangling over the river i was Hmm. like what in the world i guess that's how you got enough leverage to like slip his paw back out yeah and then or someone going down the river shot him and took him but you know with fur prices probably didn't happen avian predator was trying to fly off with him yeah (laughs) i don't know and then i had two i had two coons gnawed their own arm off and got out of the paw or got out of the trap which i i don't know how they do that but coons can do that it's pretty amazing to me 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you sent me a picture of one of those, and I'm wondering if a coyote... He was predated. Yeah, if a coyote didn't get that joker or, you know, something. Yeah, uh, I, I wonder if that's what happened to you, but, you know, I assume that critter's going to die anyway. Yeah. And worst case, he's got one less paw to grab a turkey egg with, so... Yeah, if you catch him three more times, you'll be in good shape. <laughs> well, I figure one more, if I get his other front <laughs> paw, he, he can't grab eggs anymore. <laughs> He'll be walking around the woods on his two back legs. <laughs> Looking at you eye level. Call, calling your name. Yeah. <laughs> nah. I don't, but, but yeah, so that was kind of the experience we've had so far. And so my plan is kind of, it definitely did seem like after one week, it was starting to slow down. And my brother on his place is seeing the exact same thing. One full week with, you know, what do we have? 40 something traps out. After a week, it started going down to one catch a night type thing or none and at the beginning the first day i caught 10 i think it or whatever it was a bunch i think it was 10 you know and so you're they're definitely setting these in the same location night after night for oh a week. yeah yeah the the live traps especially it seems like if you catch one in a live trap do not move it because it honestly was like the ones I was catching them in, the odds of like a repeat catch were way higher than catching one in a new one. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I think just the urine and the smell of that animal being in the trap, and I don't know, the blood all over. I mean, I think there's just so much scent all of a sudden in that cage that like it makes it even deadlier. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, a coon walking by smells where you shot a possum in there and he's like, I smell fish. I smell possum scent. I bet a possum stuffed something in the back of this box. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to go steal it because they're all they all just want food. And they, I think they like love to steal stuff from other critters. I don't know. But well, yeah, they're looking for the easiest way to yeah. survive. You know, you, yeah, he, you he, he got energy. a fish and he, he put it in here and I'm going to go get it. So, yeah, it definitely it was like if you caught one in the live trap, you pretty much were going to catch another one or or more. I think. I think my best one caught four over the week. Yeah. And had several repeat customers. Yeah. So, you know, talking about the live traps, I'm wondering if you were to, you know, put plastic, like black plastic over the end of the trap away from the door mm, so that they can't reach in. in, you know, and they have yeah. to, to get in there, you know, through the opening if that might help. Yeah, or, not a bad know, idea. Small piece of canvas, or you know, just something to wrap that into the trap with. Not just the not just the opposite side from the the door, but even a few inches around those the side. Yeah. From that end. Yeah, I'm sure there's ways to do it. I had started. I was just chunking the all the way open can in the back of the trap, and what I started doing was opening the sardine can halfway. Halfway. Yeah. Leaving that lid open and shiny and then pointing it towards the front so yeah. that it's kind of blocked from the back. Mm-hmm. And I, I seem to have less robbery that way. Yeah. You know, just let, they, they couldn't really get it at that point. They had to come in. But, you know, yeah. overall, I was really satisfied with the catch that we had. And it's going to be interesting ongoing projects. So I'm waiting on my brother to get the beans out of our another farm. And as soon as that's done, I'm going to go in there and hit it hard with the traps. And so I'm just going to kind of rotate. We've got like four farms 
here that are pretty local and i'm just gonna kind of rotate them you know throughout the winter and do one week here and then maybe take a week off or whatever and do a week at this one and take a week off and do a week at that one and that yeah. way you know like these people say you know there millions of coons are just sitting right across the imaginary property line just like oh gosh if, if i hear a gunshot i'm running over there well if they do i'll catch them next week you know that's exactly right <laughs> so. yeah it's it's not a one and done thing you're not going to trap for a week and just be done you know this no. is something that's got to be continued and you know it's like grant woods said gosh was it been now a year and a half year and four months three months since we had him on to talk about it and you know he said well he's been doing this for years and keeping records for years yeah and you know his note notation was or observation was that the size of the raccoons has gone down because it's the juvenile raccoons that are moving in and you can't just do it for a week and stop you know so i mean i get it yes they're right those people that say, well, you know, another one's just going to move in. They're right. If you're not trapping, another one's going to move in over a period of time and you're going to have the same issue. So you've got to continue to do it. And then you stop that from happening by continuing your trapping. So, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, the common sense has to come into play at some point in time. And, and, you know, we've got to say, this is, how you remedy you have a problem you come up with a solution and you work on how do we prevent it from happening again well with trapping you continue to trap that's how you keep it from happening again so yeah i'm gonna use a little little sense with that so i i want to throw in and, yeah and you touched on something that you know several weeks ago when we started this i started to to give this little tidbit about the dog proofs but I want to throw in something that we should not be doing. We need to be very careful with the dog proofs with our cable that we have attached to the trap on what we connect that cable to. Yeah. So the first time I ran dog proofs, I had cables on them and I wrapped those cables around. I'm not even going to say they were saplings. They were trees. That, I mean, yeah, they're saplings, but not a two inch diameter yeah. sapling you know these Pretty are good size yeah and the the branches on the trees were up high and very flexible and the raccoon was just climbing the tree dragging that trap with the cable up the tree and when the tree would lean over they would continue to you know they would hit the ground and run and the the cable would just slide off the tree there's not enough to hold yep. the the cable to the tree and so you know you, we need to choose a tree that's of substantial size that has branches at a low enough level to where we can check them to make sure that they're not so flexible and and that the raccoon will be able to just pull that cable over those branches where they come out of the trees so yeah i think gotta, i lost when you catch them they don't just like ah, oh, i'm caught and sit there and wait oh, on you no. like, they're going to exhaust every effort to get out of that trap so survey the situation and think if i was going to give everything i had to get out of this how would i do it and if there's a possible way to get out they will get out yeah i mean even even to the point of okay my cable will allow the raccoon to get six feet from the base of this tree is there anything within that six feet diameter of that tree that that raccoon can use for leverage to get yeah more strength to push out of that trap or pull yeah. out of that trap a big root 
they will get under it and and pull. I mean, yeah. they they get leverage. They know how to do that. Yeah. So think about that kind of thing. I think the first time I set dog proofs out, I think I may have bought four and I lost two of them because hmm. of, of not having the, the right anchor attached yeah. to the cable. And, you know, the other thing I would recommend, and surely, you know, you guys are, if you haven't started trapping already and you're going to start it, you're going to look at some videos online and, and don't just say, hey, this sounds easy and you know, Cameron and Andy have given, and their guests are giving me all the information I need to know to go do this. I think we've given you a good foundation, but watch some videos. Don't use rope. You want to use steel cable. Yeah. I use like that airplane cable. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the real thick diameter. I mean, that stuff is so amazingly strong. Yeah. Three, three thirty seconds is what I get. Okay. And some clamps on the end of it. And you can buy those clamps at Lowe's or Home mm-hmm. Depot or your local hardware store and clamp down the two ends. But yes, watch their videos out there that'll show you how to do all that. Watch those videos. And yeah, I, I just put one on my Instagram showing exactly how I set up my dog proofs. Cool. So yeah. Y'all can go check that out and see the cable and everything. I got it off Amazon, got the little clamps, got a little uh, the crimping tool. And anyway, you can watch that and it'll show you exactly how to do it. Yeah. So, but I do want to share some data as to why we should trap. Okay. And one of the main outfits that I love keeping up with is quail based, you know, but it's upland bird, mm-hmm. ground nesting bird, and that's Tall Timbers Research Station. They're down in like South Georgia, North Florida, and they put out some great stuff. Uh, I've, Grant Woods has sent me some things from them and it, they always have good information, but they have been doing studies on the effects of trapping for quail. And I'll also have some turkey data to you know talk about, but the one of the more recent ones I've seen was from them on their quail. So they did, I think they've done like multiple seven year studies at this point, but the most recent one was a seven year study on trapping and its effects on quail. And so they trapped some properties didn't trap adjacent properties, you know, kept data on the birds and all this. And then they cross-tested by flipping it where they started trapping the properties that weren't trapped and Mm -hmm. stopped trapping the ones that were trapped and monitored the data. And so it's, in my mind, that's probably pretty solid evidence. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, cross-testing that way. And so what they found from this seven-year study was that they had a 43% increase in chick production on trap sites versus not trap sites. Wow. And so this is today, you know, what they're doing. A lot of the studies that from, you know, way back when with predator management are somewhat flawed in my opinion because they use poison and we're able to kill thousands of animals easily with poison. So, I mean, you know, it's not mm-hmm. feasible for today's people. But these guys are just trapping. And they had 43% increase in chick production. And so that led to an average of 18% more bob whites in the fall to hunt. And so they said, to put it into perspective, they had a 5,000-acre property. And that put an average of 1,000 more quail on the landscape. Wow. I mean, that's pretty big in my opinion. You know, you reduce that down to 500 acre property, you have 100 more quail. That's pretty good. 
Yeah. You know, and then they they also studied like nest success. And so it's Bob White's on trap sites. A nest was one point three three percent or not, not percent, one point three three times more likely to hatch on trapped versus non trapped. So one hundred thirty three percent chance higher. And every one hundred hens produced fourteen more nests, twelve more broods, and a hundred and nine more chicks than on non trap sites. Yeah. So that's impressive. That, and if and if you look at that exponentially, just like you said earlier in the show, over a period of years, that's yeah. that is a tremendous increase in a population over a period of years, you know, because that extra hundred and nine chicks they're going to be nesting next year and are going to be having more successful nests, which is, if you know, you keep trapping. Though. If you keep that's trapping, it. that's exactly right. So that's something else. I I wish I could like put this on the podcast somehow and like, I'll, I'll talk about it, but they showed a graph in this study. And another thing they did, this was in a 10 year study prior to the seven year study. They, Trapped a site for three years, stopped trapping it for three years, trapped a site for three years, stopped trapping it for a year. Mm -hmm. So 10 years. And it's just, you got to, like, I I wish I could pull it through here, but I'll I'll talk about it. It's And so what they did is they had trail cameras with, like, bait sites in front of them every year, and they took a predator index and counted how many predators visited this bait site, you know. Mm-hmm. And they did that every year, trap, not trapping, they did that every year. And then they also were measuring their quail abundance every single year uh, on a birds per acre level. So what they found, so year one, the birds per acre is about one and a half. And they were not, so this is, the, this is, I guess, year zero. This is before they started trapping. Birds per acre was about one and a half. And the predator index was also at like 1.5. Okay. So mm. then they trap year one. The predator index goes down to 0.3 from 1.5 to 0.3 wow. per acre. And the birds per acre goes up to 1.75. Mm-hmm. Year two, they trap. Predator index stays at like 0.4. It's about the same. Birds per acre goes up to two. So you go from 1.5 to two on birds per acre after two years. Mm-hmm. Year three, predator index still the same. It's about 0.6 in year three. It actually crept up a hair, but it's still low, you know, way lower than it used to be. Yeah. And the birds per acre is at like two and a quarter. So they're exponentially building. Every yeah. single year, there's more birds per acre. Predator index is staying low. All right. They stopped trapping year four to see what would happen. So think about it in your mind. There is now in a huge abundance of prey species on the property. Mm-hmm. And then no one's killing the predators. Okay. So year four, the predator index jumps up to 1.6, right back to where it had been before they did anything. So, <laughs> yeah. Again, you got to trap every year. That's the whole thing here. And the birds per acre went down to 1.4. Wow. So it reverted right back to where you were. In one year, they erased every bit of the gains they'd gotten. Yep. And so you had three better years of hatches. You had better hunting, you know, everything for three years. But then if you stopped trapping, it reverted right back to where it used to be. Mm. Okay. And then so then they don't trap again the next year. You're looking at birds per acre 
dropped to one. So now you're worse off. And then the next year they don't trap again, birds per acre down to 0.7. What were the so predator numbers in those they years? They stayed steadily between like 1.25 and 1.5. Okay. So, so a couple of things that stick out to me that I'm wondering. The first three years, I wonder, because the bait sites, I'm assuming, were a constant. They were stationary, same location, never moved. I'm wondering if it's a learning thing for the predators, and that's why the predator numbers crept up a little bit. Predator Mm. observations crept up is because they're monitoring the bait sites that are not moving. They're there. Yeah. The the quill numbers increasing makes total sense because you're trapping or eliminating predators. And And it slowly creeps up year after year of the trapping, which is interesting to see. Right. And then I think once the trapping stops... It is exactly what you said. You've got a feast for the predators that are there. (laughs) And so, you know, they're now they have keyed in on a plentiful prey source and don't think for a second that a coyote won't eat whatever's available, readily available, or a bobcat or a raccoon with eggs or possums or with eggs or, you know, whatever that predator is if there's a lot of that prey around they're going to feast on it so you know i mean that's that would make sense yeah and and just quickly i'll go through so that you know three years quail go back way down they trap again for three more years year one it goes from one or 0.6 up to 0.75 year two of trapping again goes up to (laughs) 1.3 Must have been a good weather year, four, year as well. Or year three of trapping again goes almost to one and a half again. So slowly creeps back up again. I mean, it. it I, I just can't like get over how it's the exact same pattern both ways. Yeah. And then, you know, what happens when they stop trapping the next year? I'm going to guess the quail numbers went down. 0.6. Wow. 1.5 1. 1. or so to 0.6. Wow. Immediately the next year. So their bottom line is like, if you're not going to keep doing it, I mean, yeah, you guess you can, if you're going to do it for one, two, three years, like, yeah, you'll have good, good hatches probably. And you're going to help them for a couple of years. But if you stop, they're going to go, go back down mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. So it's, that was, and the fact that they started it, stopped it, started it, stopped it. And it followed the exact same trend both times is pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, all of, all of that makes sense. So that's a small scale experiment. Imagine if you owned a couple hundred acres and you started trapping and you got all of your neighbors around you to agree to trap as well. Or, hey, even agree to let you come on their place to trap outside of hunting seasons. If trapping still, you know, trapping for nest predators or coyotes or bobcats is still legal in your state to do so. But take it on a large scale. You reduce the number of predators on a large scale and around your 200 acre piece of property, and it's going to take a long time for the predator numbers to grow again on your 200 acre piece of property. It's going to take longer for those predators to move back into your 200 acres. So, you know, there's something to trying to get your neighbors yeah, on board to trap as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have our neighbor on one side's already said, kill all the coons you want on us. 
So, and I have killed some over there and I'm probably going to run a trap line there, you know, for a week because mm-hmm. in my mind, it's okay. I'm helping. I don't, I don't care <laughs> if the turkeys are gobbling wherever. I just want more turkeys. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's that imaginary line means, means nothing in the grand scheme of how many turkeys are on the landscape. It means I can't walk across it to hunt, but that doesn't mean turkeys aren't going to cross that line. You know? yeah, yeah. So, and, and, uh, coon i kill on their side of that line probably would eventually end up on my side if there's no coons you know so it's it's helping my end mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah so talk and talk to your neighbors about it i mean most property owners are outdoorsmen even if they are not and they've got their property leased to people who hunt you could either talk to the landowner and say hey will you run a trap line if not then can you give me the number of the person who leases your property from you because i'd like to talk to them about running a trap line and if they don't want to do it would you and they're agreeable to it to letting me come on your property to do so would you allow me to do it i'll sign a hold harmless i won't come in during hunting season I'll lock the gate behind me. I will text you when I'm in, and I'll text you when I come out. I just want to get rid of predators. Yeah. Yeah, there's some landowners out there that are going to say no. But if you give them few reasons to say no, I think you can take this out on a bigger scale than just your piece of property. And if they don't want you to trap, see if they'll let you go call in coons, Mm -hmm. you know, for a day or two during the winter. Maybe you can go kill five ten off their place. That that helps. Yeah. Maybe they'll let you bring your buddy that has a coon hound. They'll go tree a bunch and shoot them that night. Yep. I'll, I'll say that. I was skeptical of that method because most of your coon hunters now just want to shine them and leave them. But if you can find somebody in your local community who has like a bad to the bone dog, you can stack up some coons with a dog mm-hmm. and just make sure that person understands when we go to my property it's a kill mission. It's not a shine at, you know, high five each other and walk off. Yeah. It is, it is a unload the 22 till he falls out of the tree mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and it it can be very effective. We, we had one night on our place with the coon dog in about two hours. We took down 11 coons. Yeah. I mean, that's very efficient. That's a lot faster than I could have trapped. So if you, there's a big difference though. You got to find somebody with like a dog that is really good. I think there's a whole lot of coon hunters out there that have dogs that can tree one, two coons a night. There's a few out there that they can just start popping them like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's a fun way to get rid of coons too. And, and a way, you know, I feel like landowners are more averse to letting someone trap for whatever reason they don't like traps they don't want to see a trapped animal on property they don't want you driving around on their property every day for a week and i get all that they might let you come in there with a dog and a call and hit it two or three times and maybe you can take out 20 predators you know so you got options there's plenty of turkey studies out there with with trapping i mean there haven't been at least that i've seen any recent studies on it with turkeys uh, have you seen any i have not but i kind of feel like collier and chamberlain are working on you know have some students working on some of those things yeah i mean the biggest difference between turkeys and quail in my opinion is the home range size you know mm-hmm. they're similar very similar ground nesting birds so i think there's some positives to be seen from what's happening with the quail at tall timbers but 
at the same time, turkeys much bigger home range compared to a quail, so that would be a difference. But you know, there was that study in Alabama in the 70s. Granted, they used poison and trapped and shot, did all kinds of stuff. They massacred the predators essentially on two adjacent properties, and it showed they definitely increased pulp production over the other property. So, yeah, granted, they use methods that we can't <laughs> right. these days, but it still proved the point you know by a wide margin that you know what was it it was 55.1 percent of hens had pults on the trap site 24.4 percent had pults on the non-control areas predator control areas so double the amount of hens had pults with them and five-year average pult to hen ratio is three and a half on predator control areas and 1.1 on not predator controlled areas that's a huge difference Mm-hmm. especially when you look at more hens had poults with them and the hens that had poults with them had more poults than the few hens that had them with them on the other area. So granted that study's not great because of how they went about it with the poison, but proves the point predator control works. Yeah. Yep. So well, very cool. This is, yeah. this has been fun and interesting hearing your numbers. Yeah. And I'll, I'll keep everybody updated on that throughout the year, you know, just how things are going there and we're up to, we've, since February, I've killed 141 predators. So one one coyote and the rest have all been coons, possums, a couple armadillos, but mostly nest raiders. Yeah. So mostly coons by a wide margin. <laughs> there's just, there's such a vast array of ways to kill a coon. Yeah. Well, and on that topic, on that statement, if you guys happen to have missed last week's episode or you're listening to this one before you listen to last week's episode you don't want to miss that so it's it's very informative it will get you fired up jeff nimick will get you fired up to go out and predator hunt whether it's hunting coyotes or bobcats or coons he'll get you fired up and ready to go so you want to listen to that one for sure you can get the cheapest thing out there for for what he talks about for coons i mean i think you might need to step your game up for coyotes or whatever but Mm -hmm. i literally bought i have a fox pro patriot it was like 70 bucks i think at rural king bought it and i've called up a dozen coons with it in june so it absolutely works so cheap i bought two sounds online from fox pro very easy to do and that's it so you can just get a nice cheap fox pro or or lucky duck or whatever their cheapest base model is and go kill coons with that yep just don't get because i got kind of overwhelmed when i first looked at them because you know you look up predator e-calls and some of them are real expensive (laughs) well and it's and it's just like we need to treat everything else you know if you're if you're going to get into fishing do you go spend Eighty or ninety thousand dollars on a bass yeah. boat, or do you go buy a little John boat with a you know fifteen twenty horsepower motor on it to see if you're going to like it? Yeah, you know that's right. So go buy an inexpensive model of e collar and test it. See if you like it. See if you're having success with it. And if you like it and you want to do it more and become Jeff Nimnick, and that's all you do, then go spend a grand mm-hmm. on an e collar with the decoys and everything else and get after it but you don't have to do that to kill coons you don't have to do it to kill coyotes i think my e-collar is a i think i paid a hundred hundred and 
10 bucks for it or something like that, you know, several years ago. Well, it was a Christmas present, but it was several years ago that, you know, that I picked that out and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, this is what I want. So, you know, that's just get out and do it. And you could do what I said in last week's show. You can download the sound files to your telephone and take your Bluetooth speaker that you use at the lake or out by the pool or out while you're doing yard work and take that out there and play your your sound that you downloaded on your phone on that and it, it you just, you just can't get any cheaper than than that way you know those <laughs> it'd be, e-collars it'd be pretty are, hard to get cheaper than that <laughs> yeah those e-collars are fantastic yeah. and would i buy another one or would i download sounds onto my phone i would buy another one just because i i like predator hunting yeah. You know, it's something to do in the off season and it helps out the deer and it helps out the turkeys. So yeah, I'll buy another e-collar because it's easy. So anyway, go do that. That's, it's a lot of fun. Like we said last yeah. week, there are a lot of states whose deer seasons haven't opened yet and it's a great time to go get in the woods. The weather's perfect. Go enjoy the woods and take your kids with you. Yeah. How how pumped up would your 10-year-old be, 12-year-old, 25-year-old, if you sat down with an e-collar and called in a coyote or a fox or a bobcat, or you called in a coon that came charging the call? Oh, I, mean, I can't imagine it. This, the coon calling would be the perfect thing to do with a kid. Yeah. You move spots constantly. You don't have to stand still. You just stand in there. You can chat. Don't even have to have really camo or anything. And when they come charging in, I can't imagine like a 12-year-old. I mean, my eyes were as big as saucers. I imagine a kid would about pass out if the coon started running at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it would be, I, I would think that would be a fun way to get a kid outside. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. It's, you know, pretty easy shooting. They get to make a good kill shot on something that it would be great. Yeah, no doubt. What do you think about making that our favor of the week? Get out there yeah. and hunt some coons, hunt some predators, and tag us on your social media posts. Yeah, yeah even You don't even have to have success. Just tag us when you're outdoors enjoying that, you know, and and take a selfie with the kids. I like it. I like what you said. Favor of the week, just do it. Absolutely. Get out and do it. Absolutely. Well, we've been rambling for a while. What do you think? (laughs) I think we've talked long enough. Why don't you wrap us up? I'm going to wrap it up, and I will not talk to you again until either right after the game Saturday to rub it in your face or not until next year. (laughs) Okay. Sounds reasonable to me. I think so. I think so. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Roll Tide. Go Vols. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.